Good morning, uh, OCC, and welcome to Church Online this morning. I uh, hope you're all doing well and you are uh, having a lovely morning uh, and enjoying time. It's so great to be together online, being able to worship and enjoy God's presence. And that's what we've been praying this morning as we've gathered a few minutes before coming on. Uh, and we were just praying God's presence uh, would just meet each one of us, that this wouldn't just be a, a gathering for us to come and consume something that's happening online through a screen into your home, but this would actually be an encounter with God. Uh, and that's what we believe can happen this morning. So. Uh, Becky's going to lead us in worship. Uh, I'm going to preach in a little while. We're going to continue our series into Philippians. Uh, so really excited about what God's going to share through his word this morning. But I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, for you to, to participate in our worship, for you to stand and sing. Uh, maybe you want to put a comment in the chat, just something that will encourage uh, the church uh, into worship. Maybe you've got a testimony or something you want to share or just a verse or just saying hello in the chat. Uh, and maybe I encourage you just to stand up, uh, just to change your posture this morning as we come and just worship God. Uh, I, I was reading Psalm 29 earlier this morning and it talks about ascribing to the Lord greatness uh, because of his glory and his strength. Uh, and it goes on and says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. It goes on down in verse 10 and says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people and blesses his people with peace. You know, storms and floods, they have massive power, don't they? We see across the world things happening. But God's power is greater. God's strength is stronger. And we're worshipping a God this morning who uh, works all things for the good of those that love him, even through the storms he works. And so this morning, whatever you're going through, wherever you find your circumstances are this morning, know that God is with you and God is working and God is stronger. He is powerful. And I just love that verse 11. It says the Lord gives strength to his people. We're praying that as we gather this morning, that his spirit would give us strength and the Lord would bless you and would give you peace. Something we're going to look at a little bit this morning is just the peace of God. And so uh, let me pray and we're going to worship together and to declare the truth of who God is, that he is powerful and mighty, that he is strong to save uh, and that, that we are his children and he blesses us. So God, we thank you for your presence. And I just pray right now, maybe in your homes, you just want to put your hands out, put your hands on your heart or, or do something with your posture outwardly just to reflect uh, the attitude of your heart towards God right now. Lord, we just invite you into our homes, whatever this week has been like, wherever we are on our journey with you. Uh, Lord, we, we dare to pray right now. Will you pour out your presence in each life, in each household right now as we come and gather and worship and ascribe greatness to your name and glorify you this morning as your people? So will you pour out your presence? For those that just need a touch from you this morning, will you be with us right now as we lift up your name? For your glory. Amen. Thanks, Becky. Will you lead us this morning? Morning church. Just as John said all of that as well, just really invite Jesus this morning and uh, stand and sing and or kneel and, and be quiet and worship. It's up to you, but let's just uh, gather and um, like John said, change our hearts and our postures towards him. And just make it all about Jesus this morning. It's all about God. Thank you, Father. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to How strange and divine I can sing All is mine, yet not I But through Christ in me 
night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus now and ever is my plea oh the chains are released I can sing I am free yet not I but through Christ With every breath, I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. I hold my hope is only Jesus all the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not I but through Christ in me to this I hold my hope is only Jesus, all the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. When the race is complete, Still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me.
When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about about you Jesus I'm sorry love for the thing I've made it when it's all about you it's all about you King of endless worth No one could express How much you deserve The one we can pull All I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry love for the thing I've made it when it's all about you all about you Jesus I'm coming back to the heart lift your voices just praise him and remind yourselves that it's all about him he is the almighty the provider your creator your comforter your redeemer
chorus one more time. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry love for the thing i've made it when it's all about you it's all about you Yes, Father, that's our heart cry. As we come and worship right now, it is, for so many of us, it's not our preference. But God, in that, I think by your spirit, you're teaching us something. To lay down our preference and exalt you, however, whenever, wherever we can. So we choose to do that right now. We, we actively choose make this all about you church we, we're, we're entering a season where we really feel that God is is calling us to this place of consecration Joshua 3 verse 5 he calls the people to consecrate themselves today for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among us you're going to get really tired of hearing that scripture over the next little season because we're going to spend some time uh, when we finish Philippians diving into Joshua. Um, but I'm convinced that God is calling us as a church to to something today uh, that we're, we're living for uh, and believing that God is uh, breaking in and doing amazing things. We're seeing salvation. We're seeing healings uh, even more uh, that we will see tomorrow. But today we've got a responsibility and a calling uh, to be a people that are dedicated to him, a worshipping people that put him on the throne and declare who he is. Um, and, uh, and part of that is in our worship. Yes, our singing and our life of worship, uh, where we, we acknowledge we're going to live in a way that brings glory to him, that allows him to shine in and through our life into the world around us. Uh, and so uh, we're going to play a short uh, conversation now with Becky and Alan, two, two of the people that lead worship in our church, just talking about worship and what it means for them right now. So let's play that conversation. asked me to ask a few people the question how are you living your worship so uh alan how are you living your worship right well uh it's it's, it's certainly been very interesting over the last year during uh, all the pandemic and stuff like that and it's sort of brought stuff that i was already thinking into maybe a bit more sharp focus and stuff like that but i've always been fascinated um since i was really young uh, and this is going to bit, sound a bit off the wall, though, but with like Celtic Christianity and but mm. more specifically in how they saw God in the uh, it, as well as in the uh, supernatural and the extraordinary in the in the absolute mundane everyday business of just living and everything they did. So I've, I've always felt really challenged to sort of uh, approach worship. Obviously, there's a bit where we sing, but then we're called to give out, you know, live our whole lives as a worship and. I've always took the spirit and truth in a really sort of simple way to me to, to really, I suppose, to put what it boils down to is to recognize that God is in everything. So all the bits that we traditionally might, we, we're really good at segregating, aren't we? Like well, Sunday, that's that's church. I've done the worship tick and then you, yeah, and you sort of have church, work, family, everything sort of separate. But I've always been really challenged that it's actually all one and the same and that as well as God calling us to do stuff in the kingdom, specifically in a fellowship like church, he's also calling us to be exactly where we are, where we live, where we work, where we may go to school, um, wherever we find ourselves. So 
Um, it's really, and I think during the pandemic as well, with a lot of fear around from uh, from people and stuff, it's it's um, really sort of challenged me even more to look at wherever I am. Uh, we're called to be the light and the salt, and and, and all, but especially the light on the hill, and and uh, bring the hope of Jesus Christ. So. It's trying to do that in practice in the mundane stuff like work or the mundane stuff like shopping or, or wherever you find yourself. But um, it's also um, surprisingly, uh, I think the right word to say would be joyful or maybe comedic. But um, at, at home in family, we, 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 um, we eat dinner around a table and I t I t we've been having some really, really funny dinner times where we have really interesting discussions i think i've probably told you about them before like what didn't did noah take dinosaurs on the ark are dinosaurs going to be in heaven they're quite dinosaur related at the moment but they can be about absolutely everything where where were cavemen in the bible were they before adam were they after all this sort of stuff but we've also um during the pandemic and actually more increasingly this year we go for uh, family walks quite a lot now because well there's nothing else to do at the weekend and <laughs> so, so we, uh, exactly and we're doing like six seven miles at a time but you know what it's a great opportunity to talk because all the time we're walking when we're doing stuff we're all, all the questions there you know they all they all come back down to at the end of the day i suppose Although the kids probably don't realise it's why are we here? What are we doing? Why do we believe the Bible? What does God say about this? And it's just uh, so in a nutshell, all of that, I would say, is I think that everything that we're called to do is is living a life of worship rather than the uh, traditional things that we might think are, which are just as important and valid, like singing, praising and, and, and serving and such like that. So. There you go. Excellent. Thank you so much, Alan, and God bless you. Cheers. God bless you too. Great. So good to hear uh, just how people are seeking to live out uh, a life of worship, a life that uh, is storied by God's story uh, and stepping into that. Uh, so uh, I'd encourage you just to, just to start to think, maybe ask yourself the question, how, how are we living out our worship as we start to think about what it means to be consecrated to God, to be a people set apart for him uh, 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 in order for him to do some wonders among us? What does that start to look like for us as a community? Well, we're going to dive into God's word. And I think Today, as we get into Philippians, there's some amazing practical application about how we get to live in view of who God is and what he has done. Just before we do, um, just to share that there's uh, some links in the chat. Uh, if uh, kids you want to get onto virtual Sunday school this morning, there's a link there as they start to look at the Beatitudes. Uh, great, uh, great time you can have there. Uh, if you feel you're able to give this morning financially into the life of the church, I just want to thank you. Uh, generosity has always been a part of this church uh, from our months of generosity of just giving away a whole month's income. And so that hasn't stopped during the pandemic. In fact, you've been such a generous people with your finances, your time coming in now online and just being together and prioritising each other and connect groups and, and all of that. Uh, if you feel you're able to give financially into the church there's a link uh, just on the chat so you can go to our website and also on the 21st of April uh, we're starting an alpha online uh, so if you would like to explore more about what it means to follow Jesus, maybe you're just dropping in online, maybe you joined us last week for Easter and you just want to find out a little bit more. Uh, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you just want to kind of figure out a little bit more about what does this actually mean and how does it impact my life? Uh, then Alpha is a great place to start for that. And so 21st of April, uh, you can click on the link in the chat or go again to our website uh, and, and fill in a form on that on that page and just register your interest. Uh, and uh, and we'd, we'd love to be able to journey with you on those Wednesday evenings for that. That season as we explore and go through that course of Alpha together. But otherwise, I think that's it. I think if you've got a Bible, we're going to dive into Philippians chapter four. We're in the last chapter of Philippians now. Uh, probably got another couple of weeks left in Philippians. Uh, and then, as I said, we're going to dive into some stuff around Joshua uh, and all of that journey for Israel men as they came out of, uh, of, of the wilderness and stepped into this inheritance that, they, that God had for them. Uh, but before that, we are in chapter four, verse two of Paul's letter of joy uh, and I just love I constantly need to be reminded that Paul is in prison as he writes this letter 
as he's uh, as he's ministering in, even in his point where he needs to be ministered to, he still finds uh, God working in and through him to meet the needs of the people around him. Uh, and so much joy in this letter and so much practical application for what it means to live uh, the life that God calls us to. So uh, without further ado, let's let's dive in chapter uh, four, verse two, uh, and let's see where we end up today. It says this in verse two, I urge you, uh, Iodia, and I urge you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, pre present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if anything is praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Wow, some amazing verses and amazing promises that uh, we'll, we'll unpack this morning. Uh, maybe even some verses there that you recognise, uh, some that we kind of uh, are known for little things that people put online, you know, rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice, those little one verses that we, we probably know so well. Well, let's let's explore them and let's see what God says through his word this morning. And I want to ask you a question. Uh, I wonder, how do you want to be remembered? It might be a bit early on a Sunday morning to be thinking about your obituary, but how do you want to be remembered? Maybe not just when when we pass away, but how about when you leave somebody's presence, when you've been with them, when you've been speaking to them, when they've spent time with you and you leave, how do you want to be remembered? Maybe it's uh, humorous or faithful or loving or gentle or godly or grumpy or argumentative or opinionated or divisive. I think probably the beginning of that list probably fits with the majority of humanity more than the end of that list. But we've been introduced to two women here um, who are Odia and Syntyche. Now, I've no idea if that's how you pronounce the name, but I'll, throughout this message, I'm just going to say it with confidence and know that you'll think that I know how to pronounce it. So Odia and Syntyche are two women that are clearly in a disagreement uh, that we find that Paul is addressing in this moment. Uh, two women who clearly have significant roles within the life of the church. He, uh, Paul calls them co-workers. They have ministry in the life of the church. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and we can see that Paul is saying that there's some disagreement going on here that we need to address. So uh, the fact that he's writing, remember this is a communal letter. This is a letter to a group of people and he singles these two women out. So my guess is they were known, possibly the dispute was known, they were significant, they weren't just passive attenders of this church, they were active and in ministry, co-workers alongside Paul and Clement and the others in, in sharing the gospel. And, and yet, that's not why we remember them. We don't remember them for all of the, the ministry that they'd had up to this point, whatever, whatever that looked like, whatever that role was, we don't remember them for that. See, we can have all of the, the history. I've sat down with people in the past that have, uh, have been going through a disagreement and they're like, don't you understand just what I've done for this church? Don't you understand just what I've done for, for God in the ministry? And, and Paul's saying, that's not what we remember them. As we read the scriptures, these two women are named, but we don't remember them for any of the significant stuff they might have done in the past. And if we look forward it says that uh, they are co-workers, the Clement and, and others uh, whose names are written in this thing called the Book of Life. Now, what's the Book of Life? Well, it's not some dusty volume that sits uh, uh, sits in the heavens that sort of isn't used for anything. This is like the roll call of heaven. This is the names that are listed of those that will spend eternity with God. And he's saying that these women are saved. They're known by God. They are secure in their salvation. Not that some heavenly eraser is going to come and rub it out. Their names are secure. But that's not why we remember them. We don't remember them for all of the ministry they'd had up to this point. We don't remember them for, for the fact that they are saved and they're going to spend eternity in heaven with God. Uh, that's not why we remember them. We remember them because it says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge you, Sinski, to agree in the Lord I love it. The message version says, I urge you 
don't hold grudges, start getting along with each other. These two women in scripture, the only mention we get of them is in disagreement. How is it that you want to be remembered? See, we can desire to be remembered in a certain way, but decisions and actions in this moment right now might just determine how we're remembered. When we have a conversation with someone and we leave, it might be that conversation that we remind, they, they remember us for the rest of their days from that moment. As followers of Jesus, it might be that their impression of who Jesus is, is marked by that encounter in that moment. Not because of all the good stuff we've done, not because of where we're going when we die, but because of that moment right now. How we're living right now might just determine how we're remembered and how Jesus is remembered into the future. See, what Paul is doing in this moment, he is bringing into the reality of our life something he's already been speaking about. There's so much uh, uh, connected with what he's saying in this moment uh, about uh, what he's already said in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we see these uh, this amazing bit of scripture where he talks about, um, make my joy complete in verse 2, by thinking the same way. Having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do you see that he's addressing the reality of a division in a church? And he's saying, I've already said this. So let's bring this into the reality of what you're experiencing in church right now. Be united in one spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not for his own interests, but for the interests of others. See, what Paul is doing as we get to chapter four is he's saying, don't let what I've written, what the spirit of God has inspired me to write down to you as a church. Don't just pay lip service to that as a really great verse. Oh, Paul, just that you nailed it with those verses in chapter two. That was just for not, oh, I love it. Yeah, be of, think of others better than you say. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I'll memorize that, got it sorted. Don't just do that. Actually let it seep into how you live. Odia, syntyche, your disagreement with each other. What have I just said in this letter? What have we just been speaking about in chapter two? Paul is saying that it's not just enough to agree with some verses. It's not enough just to say, oh, they're, they're fantastic. We, we love the scriptures. We've got them memorised. I want to hear a talk on them. It's not enough just to simply agree with Jesus. We actually have to start living it out. Within the reality of conflict in church, within the reality of our families, See, in church, we define a follower of Jesus, not as someone who simply knows about Jesus, not even simply someone who who follows Jesus, but actually someone who allows that following to impact how they live. We say that a follower of Jesus is someone who seeks to live, love and look like Jesus. But actually who Jesus is and what he has done starts to change and transform how we live. And I think Paul is challenging uh, the church in Philippi to say, is what you've just read in this letter actually going to start to impact and change? Is the word of God actually going to be applied into our life to allow us to start to be transformed? Now, I'm not preaching this message because I know there's division in the church. In fact, I don't know of any disagreements that are going on in the church. We're just preaching through this letter of Philippians. And we've got to this chapter in chapter four where we see this disagreement going on. And Paul is addressing it because Paul's heart is more for unity than uh, almost all of Paul's letters. Uh, in fact, all of Paul's letters, I would argue, are, are, issue, are dealing with the issue so often of holiness and unity. How we live for God, but how we do that together. Together. We can easily live in holiness. We just go, this is what's right and that's what's wrong. But when we have to do it in unity, suddenly we're doing it alongside others that challenge our definition of holiness. And yet Paul says, unity. This is what we're seeking. We're seeking to be a united people that journey together in order to see God glorified. And so what he's addressing here is he's saying, these two women, let's seek unity. And so it can be so easy for us to, to think these verses are great. And, but what happens if there is somebody that just winds you up? Think right now. Maybe as I say these words, there's a name that comes to mind for you. Of somebody in church that just, just rubs you the wrong way. Maybe another Christian, uh, maybe it's a friend of yours. I mean, it's easier to look like that, isn't it? A friend of yours that has an issue with another friend and you're looking in uh, and you're going, you know, they, they wind each other up. What does it look like to actually apply what Paul has said previously in chapter two into that relationship? As you think of that person or that friend right now, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, 
having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider that person who rubs you the wrong way. That that fellow Christian who just, you know what, I, I see them in the street, I'm just going to walk on the other side because I haven't got the patience for them today. What does it look like for you to consider them to be more important than yourself? Paul is saying that God's word isn't just something that we should be reading and agreeing with and thinking, yeah, that's so good. What such good morals to live by. If only the world would live by this. But actually we start to apply it into our life. And Paul, in other in other letters, in Romans, he'll say, outdo one another with honour. What does it look like to live like that as a community, as a community of OCC, to outdo one another with honour? He'll go on in chapter 12 of Romans and say, as long as it's as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Sometimes we can we can actually say, I am going to seek to live in unity, but actually this person doesn't want it. And I think in these in these verses, we see that Paul actually addresses that in chapter three. He says, yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women. Now, that that word true partner is a bit of a disputed one it might be actually an actual name it might it means true partner but it might actually be somebody's actual name and he might be calling them to say can you come in and kind of mediate maybe sometimes that's what we need we need somebody else to come and help us to say we want to seek unity but we're struggling can you help us sometimes it's we we can't control other people's reactions it's as far as it depends on us live at peace and we have to just pray and say god will you help them to live at peace with me and help me to live at peace with the fact that they don't want to live with peace with me at the moment to show love and to seek unity during lockdown it's been really easy i think to assume the worst of people of situations of leaders of other things that are going on our we can sit and assume the worst rather than think the best and paul in here in these in these verses is saying don't hold grudges. Stop assuming the worst and start to think the best about people, about circumstances. And he goes on in verse four and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. We've always got to find the reason to think the best, to, to allow ourselves to rejoice. And Paul says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. I look that word up and it's, it's a Greek word that means always. As a belter, they're actually rejoicing in the Lord always. And I think Paul knows that the people that are reading this are going to go, oh, hang on a minute, Paul, you, you don't understand this situation. You don't, Odia and Syntyche, you, you don't understand the disagreement we're having and the dispute we're having. Rejoice in the Lord always. There's, there's reason not to here. And so I think that's why he says, uh, before you jump in and give me your excuses, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. See, repetition in scripture is not just there to up the word count. Uh, repetition in scripture is an emphasis. And I think Paul is saying, I know you're going to want to make excuses as to why this circumstance isn't one that should lead you to rejoicing. That this dispute is not one that should allow both of you to seek unity and end up in rejoicing in what God can do. But I'm going to say it to you again. Rejoice. Rejoice always. Even when you're woken up every morning early by your kids. Find the reason to rejoice. Even when you're driving along and some guy cuts you up in the car, there's a reason to rejoice. And Paul goes on in these next three verses to give some kind of rapid fire commands uh, to the followers of Jesus. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that in the middle of these verses, as he's challenging these readers and me and, and maybe you as to how we live as followers of Jesus. In the middle of it, he reminds us the Lord is near. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning, that the Lord is near. How often I forget when I'm not living like Paul describes in these verses, when rejoicing isn't something that I'm experiencing always, when I'm not letting my gentleness be shown, instead actually I'm venting my frustration more, when I forget to turn to God in, in, in those moments that I'm feeling overwhelmed. Actually, I need to be reminded, John, the Lord is near. And because of that, we can rejoice. Because God is near, we can know that he sees us in all our situations and all our circumstances, that he is in control. He is working this situation for our good and for his glory. And in that, we need to be reminded God is near. And so we don't need to be frustrated. 
I can be gracious and let my gentleness be known to everybody. I can be forgiving and compassionate because God is near and he sees that moment. And he he is a God of justice and he is a God of grace because God is near. Oh, the difference it can make if we woke up every single morning with the full knowledge that, God, you're near. God, you're here. And because of that, I can rejoice. And because of knowing, God, you're near, even when I don't feel it. See, the irony of, of rejoicing, the Lord always, I say again, rejoices that so often we don't rejoice is because we don't feel like it. Because we think, God, you're not near. But actually, uh, in scripture, what we read is that, that, uh, that an access point into God's presence is with thanksgiving and rejoicing and praise. Psalm 100 says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise that by rejoicing in who God is, we gain access into his presence. And so often I'm not in the mood and I don't feel like doing it. It's online again this morning. I'm not sure, God, that I can really be bothered by it this morning. But actually, when I make an active choice, say, God, I'm going to rejoice and be thankful in this moment. There's something of the presence of God that meets me in that. And suddenly, God, you are near. You always were near. And actually rejoicing has been something that's led me into your presence. What would it look like if we woke up every morning with these words of Philippians 4 to 7 as something we just read out and we said, God, help me today. Let me know you're near. And because of that, I'm going to rejoice. And God, help me because I know you're near that I can show my gentleness to everybody God, because you're near, I know I can cry out to you in every single moment and you hear because you are near. And it leads us to that place of rejoicing. It leads us to that place of living differently, that the world around us sees something different. And instead of waking up going, I'm not going to do anything until I get my cup of coffee. It's, God, you've made coffee so good. Thank you, God, for making coffee so good. And we rejoice in that moment. Seeking out the things that can cause us to rejoice, even when things go wrong. I've, I've tried this week. I haven't managed it every week, uh, every day, every time. But I've tried in these moments when I sense myself getting frustrated to, to stop and start to rejoice. And so for me, when I, I've been frustrated in having to wait or a plan has been delayed, I, I've stopped and I've got, God, thank you for this moment to be able to talk to you. To have a few seconds or moments just to to thank you for being such a good father. When something is broken this week, uh, I've got frustrated, but also I've gone, God, I thank you that that thing that broke was never designed to satisfy me. Help it, help me right now to be led to you who truly does satisfy me. And actually that moment of something not doing what it needed to do or breaking or, or being delayed has actually become a moment of worship, a moment of rejoicing always. And I've needed to say again, rejoice, because it's not been natural. And I think as humans, it's maybe not our natural tendency for some of us. But actually, the scriptures say always. And so even in this moment right now, there is something that I can search out to rejoice in who God is. And what happens is the culture of our life starts to be shaped by God rather than the world around us. That thing that's broken no longer defines my, my emotions and my state. Actually, I'm going to let it remind me just who you are, God, and how good you are and how much you sustain me how you never break and you are always faithful and you're always there for me and suddenly who God is starts to shape who I am and we see God's story and my story start to converge and we see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven how can you rejoice right now I've been so thankful for this past week of just being able to spend time with family I'm thankful more for the internet now than I've ever been of being able to gather on a Sunday morning what are you searching out to be thankful for big and small. It can be so easy to live with a sense of entitlement that the world owes us something. Now, I'm, I'm a dad, I'm a pastor, I know life is hard. When we live with the attitude of entitlement, then nothing ever satisfies. But if instead we live with this thankfulness, God, you're near. God, you've blessed me. And actually, we live in that place where we allow God to start to shape us. If we live in the reality that God is near, then actually things start to shift. Because sometimes God is near is all we have. That's the reality of life that actually I've lost absolutely everything. The only thing I can hold on to is in the middle of these verses, God is near. And so when we do, we realise I've got something always to be thankful for. The Lord is near. 
Therefore, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Because God is near, he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to speak to him in everything through prayer, by speaking to God, not venting our frustration to everybody else, but by taking it to him in everything. And it says then in verse seven, it says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, there's a promised peace that passes all understanding, a peace that some translations say that cannot be earned and cannot be learned. It's a peace with God and a peace with ourself, a peace with God because who he is and what he has done in and through Jesus. But a peace with ourself because I'm loved and accepted by God. He has made me acceptable because of who he is and what he has done. That you are known and you're loved. Your name is in a book of life. He knows who you are and your future is secure. There's a peace that comes, but it comes from the presence of God. Don't worry about anything, but in prayer and petition, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. See, verse verse six talks about this relationship with God, being close to him, talking to him, bringing everything that we have to him. And verse seven speaks of this uh, resulting peace. See, some of us are desiring the peace, but we're not desiring the presence. The intimacy precedes the peace. We want God for what he can give us, but we don't want to get to know God for who he is. Some are pursuing this peace and it feels elusive, something I can never get hold of. But the peace comes from his presence. If you look at verse nine of chapter four, it goes on and says, uh, uh, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. See, the peace of God that he talks about in verse seven comes from the God of peace that he speaks about in verse nine. We get one when we get to know the other. The peace and the presence cannot be separated. It's from God for us as we pursue a relationship with him. This has been such a peaceless time for many. Alan, in the conversation with Becky, talk about this, this fear that, that surrounded people. And I think COVID has, has led to this place of fear because... In our humanness, which is, I think, a God of our age, humanism is a God of our age. In our humanness, we think if I can just get everything sorted and have everything within my control the way I need it to be, church, that's that's all sorted. That's fine. Family, that's all in control. Work, that's all within my control. Okay, it's all sorted. Everything's everything's perfect. It's all lined up. Then we'll get the peace. When everything is, is as I need it to be, then I'll receive the peace. But actually, statistics would say that that's not how life is. We've got technological advances that allow us to be even more in control of our world. And yet the statistics say as technology is advancing, so is anxiety, so is fear, so is the disappointment, so is everything else and the stress. Because the peace doesn't come from our ability to be able to control everything and have it all as we need it to. The peace comes from the presence of God. So right now, if you're not experiencing a peace, then I want to ask you in this moment, I may be the only person on on a, a preaching on, on a live stream this morning to say, mute me and start spending some time with God right now. If peace isn't what you're experiencing, then pursue his presence. You can mute me right now because spending time with God is far more important. And pursue his presence and say, God, I'm bringing to you right now in this moment, this lack that I'm experiencing. Let it lead me to you to be fulfilled. Let me experience something of your peace and your presence right now. Maybe if it's not right now, that I'd encourage you. Try and weave moments into your day where you seek his presence, where you speak to him. Because the promise of scripture says there's a peace that passes all understanding that will guard your heart and mind. Guard the feelings that you experience and where your brain goes. And actually, that's something of what Paul speaks into. For those of you that haven't muted me or logged off in this moment, just the final verses of this uh, and then we'll finish. But Paul speaks about your mind in these last few verses. Uh, jumping in at verse eight, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, these are, these are some, amongst some of Paul's last words that he will ever write. It won't be long until he's martyred, he's executed for his faith in Jesus. And so these are significant words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, that is whatever is ethically and morally right in God and rooted in God's truth. This isn't about my truth and your truth that can be ambiguous. This is God's truth. Whatever is true, Whatever is honourable, whatever is part of God's story, bringing him honour, whatever is just, whatever is fair and right, whatever is pure, 
in our mind, in our body, sexuality, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever brings joy and hope, whatever is commendable, whatever you wouldn't mind other people knowing about your life, if your life was an open book, that which is commendable. If there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Think about these things. I wonder, I started with the question, how do you want to be remembered? As we come into conclusion here, uh, I want to ask you, what do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time dwelling on? Because what we think about might just have an impact upon upon how we live our life. What we put in might just be uh, what we get out. If we eat junk food, then we can expect to be unhealthy. If you put diesel in a petrol car, you'll expect to go nowhere. We understand this with life. But what about our world, our life? What we put in might just determine who we are and how we live. And don't get me wrong, Jesus uh, transforms lives. We've heard testimony last week of even in this lockdown season of lives being transformed by Jesus. He he takes us and uh, and uh, and deals with all of the stuff that keeps us from God and he, he takes it to a grave and he buries it in the grave and he rises again and says, now if you believe and trust in me, then you are a child of God. You are forgiven and accepted and loved. You have a new identity. You're, uh, you're a new creation, scripture tells us. Now there's no doubt, absolutely that is who Jesus is and that is what he can do in your life but Paul I wonder if he's saying here that we need to do what we need to do in order for God to do what only God can do that Paul is not saying that we're saved by human effort that that we're transformed by human effort Paul isn't saying that it's down to human effort but he is saying as humans we do need to put in some effort that we can make a declaration about who God is an affirmation of faith a declaration that God can save but we also need a determination to live the life that he calls us to live that the peace that God promises comes from him and him alone that is the fruit but there's some fertilizer that we can put in the tree of our life that will allow that fruit to be cultivated and to grow what we think about how we allow that to shape our lives living with the the peace that others can start to see when we cultivate something of, of who he is and what we dwell on in our life. Thinking about what we think about. See, if all we think about is heartache and sorrow and trouble and pain and loss, disagreement, control, manipulation, entitlement, and is it any wonder that our life will be filled with worry and shaped by uncertainty and driven by fear? But if we root ourselves in the truth and the honour of who God is and dwelling on what is pure and lovely, then actually that is the food that produces the fruit. And so we consume those things and we start to display those things. Paul will say in another one of his letters in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10, he'll talk about taking every thought captive. It's a really strange phrase to me. It's always been like, how do I chain up thoughts? What does that mean? But I think Paul here is giving a really practical way of how we do that as followers of Jesus. That it's not about not thinking about those things. So if I say to you, don't think about a chocolate cake, I would say all of you right now are probably thinking about a chocolate cake. Don't think about it. its chocolate gooiness that's oozing over the side, just screaming out, eat me, eat me, eat me. I hope you're all thinking about a delicious chocolate cake now. Taking every thought captive doesn't work when we go, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to go there. Actually, Paul says, what we need to do is dwell on that which is good. Start to dwell on that which will build us up, will actually help us to live the life that Jesus calls us to live. Then we realise that we've been consumed with the rubbish of life. We need to start to say, I'm going to start to consume some of the good that actually maybe that will help to see God do something in me that only he can do. But it takes a decision. It takes uh, what Paul says, practice. In verse nine, he says, what you have learned and received and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's what it says in the ESV version. Paul says, think right and also do right. Make a choice. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The, the word practice doesn't mean practice makes perfect, as so many of us would think that's what it means. I looked it up and practice is the activity of doing something again and again in order to get better at it. That's the journey of the Christian faith. Practice. Practice what you think. Practice what you do. Practice again and again. When you fail, we thank God for his grace and we keep practicing in community. We help each other practice. 
We practice what it means to follow Jesus. We practice. And Paul says, actually, one way that you can practice is, he says, uh, essentially, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. What you've seen and heard and learned uh, through me, start to put that stuff into practice. The stuff that I've written in this letter, start to put it into practice. You'll see it in me. I don't write one thing and then live a different thing. Look at my life and start to put some of that into practice. I've been really blessed over these last uh, couple of weeks just to spend some time with the older members of our congregation. Some who are going through some health difficulties, having to go to doctor's appointments, fearful of what that doctor might say. And I've been amazed that as they go through those physical hardships, they're telling me about moments they've had with the doctors where they've told them about their story of how they came to, to know Jesus and be loved by Jesus, how their life has been transformed. They start to share with the nurse their story of God. In a moment when so many, let me not put it on you, where I would be tempted to be down in the dumps, be riddled with fear and anxiety, understandably so. And I'm not saying they weren't. But they're actually saying, do you know what, I'm going to start to live and do and see something of integrity in that and a coming together of that. Where in this moment, I'm going to share, I'm going to say, God, will you give me a moment where I can uh, allow you to use this moment? And guess what? They find it being a moment where God uses that moment and they share their story with a nurse or they're able to bless a doctor in that moment with Jesus's love. And I've just been blown away. By the fact that they're there, what they say and what they do, people in our church, it's it's there in that pressure moment, in that moment when it's most easy to be tempted to be something else. We live in that moment and say, no, this is who I am. And what I say and what I do is going to be consistent. Paul's saying, if you get close to me, if you get close enough, you'll see that what I've written in this letter and how I live, there's consistency. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. That word peace, it's it, it, to Paul, it would have been the understanding of what some of you will know is the word shalom, this wholeness that the Greek word means to join, where there's not there's not disparity between what I believe and how I live, that actually they, they come together. And I choose not to do certain things that I really want to do because I know, God, that's not what you're calling me to do. You're not calling me to live that way. And there's there's an integrity in who I am and how I live. Can we say that about us as followers of Jesus that are listening and watching this morning? Can you say Guys, will you look at my life and what you see and learn and, and hear and see from me? You go and do as well. Or is there a tug of war? Is there a disconnect between what we say we believe and how we live? Because if there's a tug of war, that peace will never be our experience. Because there's a tug of war going on, Paul says, you'll never ever get that unity. But actually, if you live what you believe and you think about what you think about and you say in this moment, how do I want to be remembered? Then actually there can be a peace that comes as we live lives of consistency that say, act and believe and do. Church, I want to encourage you in this moment. This isn't to knock you down, but actually these verses are to build us up, that we can live lives like this by the power and the presence of God as we spend time with him and He, his gentleness rubs off on us. His ways become our ways, that actually we can live in this way, that his light shines through us into the world around us. And so I want to encourage you this morning, this week, why don't we look for moments where we can rejoice in God? Why don't we deal with that disagreement with that person and seek unity and allow God to bring a peace that only he can bring? Why don't we think about what we think about living with intentionality and saying, God, I'm going to dwell on that stuff, which which you can use to bring uh, life and love and light into my life. And actually from that, God, will you help me to live a life that displays you to those people around me? So what's God saying to you right now in this moment? For those that are still on and still listening, what is God saying to you? Invite him right now as Becky just leads us in a song. Why don't you invite him to speak into your life? And then I'd want to say to you, what are you going to do about that? As God speaks into your life, what are you going to do about that? Maybe right now it starts with surrendering your life to him. You know that uh, you need to, to lay your life down. You need his salvation in your life. Maybe you just need to cry out now and say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Saviour. And if you do, then you can hit that prayer request button and email us and get in touch with us. We'd love to connect with you more. There's probably more you need to journey through, but that's a great starting place. 
Maybe for others, it's about inviting the Holy Spirit right now to come and fill you and transform you. Just pray with faith. God, I, I don't even know what this really looks like, but it really means we're going to explore it more as a church in these coming months. But God, will you just fill me with your Holy Spirit right now? Because I need you. I can't do this on my own. For others, maybe in this moment, it's about making a commitment. So I'm going to get close to you. I'm going to let your gentleness become my gentleness. I'm going to let Jesus, you rub off on me, which can only come as I bring all of my requests as I spend time with you. And so churches, we sing, why don't we just invite God to speak and ask what we're going to do about it. And my prayer is that we would be a united family and a thankful people finding reasons to rejoice in the most ordinary of moments. We would increasingly see the intersections between what we believe and how we live and in those moments tell a greater story of grace and hope and love. And may we know the Father's presence both now and forevermore to be with us and remain with us for the sake of the spaces and the places we find ourselves in this week. Becky, will you just allow God to minister as we...
Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are near. And Lord, I pray that would be the reality of each person listening and watching right now. This week, help us to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. A prayer, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Father, help us this week to live that, to not find the negative in everything, but find you in all things. To live a life that reflects your goodness, your life and your love, your light. Shine in and through us this week to reach the people that come across our path. And we choose right now, as we finish our time together, to let our rejoicing and thankfulness spill out into this day and this week for your glory. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week and we will see you uh, online again uh, this time next week. God bless you all.